Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. Before we get started with today's session, I wanted to share a really amazing resource with you. A question that everyone has, a problem that everybody deals with is, how do I focus within my prayer? How do I enjoy my salah? Well, the answer to that question, the solution to that problem is actually quite straightforward and simple. If we understand what we say within our prayer, we'll be able to focus on it, internalize it, and actually get back to enjoying our conversation with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We created a solution to make this possible. It's called Meaningful Prayer. This is a course, a curriculum, a seminar, a workshop that I taught in over a hundred locations all across this country and even in other countries. Tens of thousands of people have taken this course and it has really turned around, transformed their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Well now, inshallah, you can take the Meaningful Prayer course online. You can take it according to your own schedule, at your own leisure. You can pace yourself. You can go back and review lessons multiple times to really be able to internalize them. Go to MeaningfulPrayer.com to sign up. Share this resource with others so that we can get back to not only just offering our prayers or performing our salah, but we can go back to experiencing a conversation and relationship with Allah. Now, to get on to today's session, inshallah, we're going to be covering the Shama'il Muhammadiyah, the prophetic personality. The following session was recorded at the Seerah Intensive. Bismillah, walhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. So inshallah, let's uh, go ahead and get started with our uh, session here today, inshallah, on the Shama'il, the prophetic personality. So very quickly, um, those who might have been keeping up with the series uh, in terms of uh, the recordings, this might seem a bit redundant, but for the students that are here, I wanted to explain exactly um, what we're doing here, inshallah, and what we're going to be covering. So as I had mentioned previously, that the, in the course of the study of the life of the Prophet wasallam, of course, in its entirety, it's a profound spiritual experience. Nevertheless, <clears throat> there can be the dynamic where when studying the life of the Prophet ﷺ, there, it can become somewhat of a history lesson. And one of the things that I very particularly um, you know, try to implement within the intensives that, I, that we do is for there to be some type of a very uh, spiritually engaging component to the program. And so here at the Sira Intensive, this is the third year that we're conducting the Sira Intensive, that particular spiritual component um, is in the form of the study of the Shama'il of the Prophet ﷺ, the prophetic personality, as I like to translate it. And what, these, what this collection, so to give you a really brief introduction to the collection, the collection is compiled by Imam at the one that we are studying. There's a few different collections. The one that we are studying is compiled by Imam At-Tirmidhi, rahimahullahu ta'ala. And this is by and far the most popular, the most well-taught, most frequently, abundantly studied of the compilations of the Shama'il. The study of the personality uh, of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa And alhamdulillah, what we've been able to do uh, throughout the course of the Sira Intensive, we've had it the last two years, we started at the very beginning of this particular collection. And each uh, year, each of the first two years, we've been able to cover about a third of the collection. So what we decided to do was to continue moving forward. And what that allows us to do is we, as you can see, we record the session as well. And then we're able to then make the sessions available online, open to the entire community. If you go on the Qalam podcast, you'll find the entirety of the first two-thirds of the Shama'il taught there. And what this, ha what this f 
facilitates is that the entirety of the shama'il gets taught, gets recorded, gets documented, and everyone can insha'Allah benefit from it. So what we're going to be studying here, uh, this particular uh, year insha'Allah, at the Seerah Intensive is that we're going to be studying the Shama'il uh, Muhammadiyah, the prophetic personality, and we'll be studying the last third of the book, if you will, insha'Allah, which um, essentially begins with chapter number 45. Uh, the students should have in front of them the booklet that was given to them, that was provided to them, insha'Allah, uh, so they can follow along there. Uh, just a couple of quick notes that I like to clarify uh, as we get started every year, uh, is that the booklet that you have in front of you does have a translation provided therein. Now that translation is, um, it's been looked over a bit, so it's not completely horrendous. Um, however, there is definitely some room for improvement. And so inshallah, as we're kind of going through it, uh, we'll be able to further refine the translation inshallah as we proceed forward. So let's uh, go ahead and get started. Now the way that we're going to be covering this is that I'll uh, read the chapter inshallah and I will re- I'll read the entirety of the narration and then inshallah um, I'll provide a very basic uh, brief translation of it. And then from there, inshallah, I'll go into a further explanation of it. Bismillah ta'ala. Give me a booklet. So let's go ahead and get started. All right. We'll start with chapter number 45. Babu ma ja'afi buka'i rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The chapter about the crying of the Prophet ﷺ. The chapter about the Prophet ﷺ, when, why, how he would cry. And so the very first narration, and in the Arabic you're always going to see uh, a bunch of names there in the beginning um, that will not be reflected within the translation. That is essentially the chain of narration. That is Imam At-Tirmidhi mentioning the narration from his teacher, who got it from his teacher, who got it from his teacher, who got it from his teacher, and who will eventually get it from a companion of the Prophet ﷺ, and then mention something about the Prophet ﷺ. So in the Arabic, I'll be reading that. قَالَ الْإِمَامُ التِّرْمِذِي رَحْمُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى حَدَّثَنَا سُوَيْدُ بْنُ نَصْرٍ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بْنُ الْمُبَارَكِ عَنْ حَمَّادِ بْنِ سَلَمَةَ عَنْ ثَابِتَ عَنْ مُطْرَفِ وَهُوَ إِبْنُ عَبْدِ ابن الشخير عن أبيه قال أتيت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وهو يصلي ولجوفه أزيز كأزيز المرجل من البكاء عبد الله بن شخير he narrates from his father الشخير he says that I came to visit the Prophet وسلم, I arrived in the company of the Messenger of God وسلم, while he was praying. And from inside of his chest, there was a sound coming from therein that was like the sound of a pot boiling water. And that was due to his crying. Now, First and foremost, um, just to kind of start at the very top and at the very beginning to understand this particular concept. This point might not see, it might, it's not very complicated, it's not rocket science, but nevertheless the word buka. Because a lot of times we don't understand, we already saw a couple of translations, you see written in the book, it says weeping. Um, however, in the translation you see that it says crying, right? So the word buka in the Arabic language, uh, the dictionary the scholars of the lexicon, they defined it, they defined it actually, there are two ways to say the word. There is the word buka, and then there is the word buka'u, buka'un, with the hamza at the end. And those are two separate words, they come from the same root, they both refer to crying, but they have a different meaning. The first one, the shorter one, buka', it refers to khuruju dam'i ma'al huzni. It means for someone to be experiencing some very strong emotions that leads to a person tearing up. But there are just simply tears involved. There's obviously that emotion, but physically that emotion is only resulting in tears coming out. 
But when you say buka'un, with the hamza at the end, the elongation of the sound, buka'un, khurujuhu sawt. It refers to not only uh, the strong emotions being experienced, but those emotions physically manifesting in the form of not only a person shedding tears, but also with a person kind of raising their voice. There's some type of sound. There's some type of voice that is coming from that person. Some type of sound being emitted from that person that represents the, the emotions that they're experiencing. And that's essentially uh, the definition of the word buka that is found in the lexicon itself. Now, this, so this is the chapter that we'll be talking about the crying of the Prophet ﷺ. So in the very first narration, this sahabi, this companion, this shishkhid, he says that I came to visit the Prophet ﷺ while he was praying. And then he goes on to say, وَلِجَوْفِهِ now the word jof in the Arabic language a lot of times in modern Arabic, modern standard Arabic, the word jof a lot of times is translated as stomach. But in classical Arabic, the word jof does not mean stomach. Alright? The word batan would refer to stomach in classical Arabic. In classical Arabic, the jof basically rever- refers to, if you will, the entire upper kind of the, the, the cavity of the body the entire upper portion of the body, including the chest. So what he refers to is that there was like some type of sound coming from his chest. And what this essentially refers to, almost kind of like a moaning or a groaning type of sound. So it wasn't, so to explain exactly the concept and the idea here, the Prophet ﷺ, again, if someone's natural emotion and natural reaction is to maybe cry more verbally, you know, kind of um, cry with more sound like from the throat, from the mouth, then that's fine if that's somebody's natural way of just how their emotion pours out. But there was a particular problem at the time of the Prophet and that problem was that there was a culture in place where there were professionals that would be hired who would basically, so mourning, you know, just like, you know, maybe somebody hires, there are professionals that are hired for celebrate, celebratory purposes, right? You might have uh, somebody, you know, musicians or singers or, you know, uh, a clown or a magician or whatever. There are people who are hired for celebratory purposes, singers and dancers and things like that. Well, mourning was a very big part of their culture. And it was actually a bit of a problematic part of their culture. It was like overt mourning. And there were some elements of it that were tied into their idolatry, their idol worship as well. And so what they would basically do is that they would hire these professionals to come and to mourn and lament and be very dramatic and you know, have a performance of, for the mourning of the person. And it was very disingenuous, it was very uh, inappropriate. And the reason why I say that there were some problematic elements of belief because it fundamentally was like an expression of ingratitude. It was, oh, woe is me. Why me? Was kind of the tone of that lamenting. Right? And this was referred to as like nuha. And the Prophet ﷺ prohibited that. He put an end to that. He said, this very disingenuous. is not real at all. In fact, it gets in the way of expressing and experiencing some real emotion because everyone's worried about a death happens and instead of actually just dealing with it, you're worried about finding a professional on short notice who can come and put on a performance in front of the house. And so it's not good. And on top of that, it had elements of ingratitude. Ingratitude. So the Prophet ﷺ put a stop to this. So because of that, because that was so predominant in their culture, the Prophet ﷺ had a preference kind of to curb that culture that was present there to not like verbally kind of cry out and yell and shout and things like that. And so the Prophet ﷺ is crying, his tears were coming down, but it's almost like there was like this deep kind of moaning or groaning sound that was coming from his chest. So as to not be too demonstrative in basically whatever emotion he was experiencing, which we'll talk about in just a second. So that's what the word jof refers to. And then it says, وَلِجَوْفِهِ azizun, Not azizun, but azizun with a hamza. 
And Azza, it comes in the Quran as well, Ta'uzzuhum Azza, right? Azza in the Arabic language refers to movement, friction, haraka. Alright? So to shake something, to move something, to rattle something. It's like Azza. And you can hear that kind of in the sound as well. Azza. Ta'uzzuhum Azzan. Right? And so it kind of has that sound to it. And so Aziz refers to basically that kind of like, almost like a movement, like some, something's grinding. So think of the element of grinding. There was like that type of a moaning. That's why I describe it as moaning or kind of like a groaning that was coming from inside of him. And then it's compared to Aziz al-Mirjal. The word Mirjal in the Arabic language refers to a huge pot. Like think of a huge container, like a huge pot that you cook something in. So they used to particularly have these containers that were made from nuhas, that were made from copper, that they used to cook inside of. Like when they were preparing a lot of food. So they would throw a bunch of food in there, pour a bunch of water in there, and then light a fire underneath it and just let it kind of boil. Alright? And so, um, and it's called mirjal, which comes from rijal, which means feet. Because those, the huge pot, it has a big base, so it just kind of sits on its own. So they would call it a mirjal, like it stands on its own two legs, so to speak. Alright, so it refers to that big old pot. So now get the idea and the image in your head of kind of like that pot boiling. He said there was almost like something kind of boiling inside of him. Like there was a sound coming. Like it was really, it was very powerful. Minal buka, and that was basically the and the tears were coming down, and he noticed that this was the the strong emotions the Prophet was experiencing. Now, what kind of brings this all together? What ties it all together? And that's the point I wanted to make here, is that this was happening in the prayer. This was happening in the prayer. Ibn Qayyim rahimullahu taala, and I'm going to introduce this idea now. Ibn Qayyim rahimullahu taala in Zadul Ma'ad, a book that he wrote about the life of the Prophet sallallahu and the habits and the characteristics about the Prophet sallallahu He says here very specifically, and I'll be quoting it directly from there. He says, "Wa amma bukaahu sallallahu alaihi wasallama, fakana min jinsi dhihkihi." The crying of the Prophet sallallahu in its reservedness was very similar to the laughter of the Prophet ﷺ, meaning how he channeled those particular emotions. What he means by that is, لَمْ يَكُنْ بِشَهِيقٍ The Prophet ﷺ was not very loud and abrupt. Like he wouldn't cause a commotion. He would not create a scene. When he laughed, he wouldn't create a scene. You know, ruffling, right? The Prophet ﷺ would not do that. Right? He didn't cause a scene. He had dignity. All right? And similarly, when crying, he wouldn't be flopping around on the ground like a fish out of water, you know, make, causing a scene. He had this dignity about him. <laughs> he wouldn't be shouting and screaming. <laughs> like he wouldn't like laugh really loudly and abruptly. <laughs> In the Arabic language is quite literally the translation of LOL. Right? And it's also four letters. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> but the, the eyes of the Prophet would well up with tears. Like you saw, his eyes would kind of well up. And when you can kind of see them kind of getting kind of shiny, you can see the tears kind of sparkling in his eyes. They would well up. Until they would start to flow from his eyes. And you could, if it was a really strong moment, you could feel kind of like that, 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 that groaning kind of coming from his chest again. And that crying sometimes would be because of the mercy and the compassion that he felt towards a dearly departed, someone who had passed. Sometimes he would cry in this manner because he would be worried about his ummah, his followers. And he would care about them deeply and profoundly. Sometimes it was due to just being overwhelmed by the greatness and the majesty of Allah. Sometimes it was due to listening to the book of Allah 
and reflecting on it very deeply and profoundly. When he cried when praying and reading the Quran, it was a crying of love and, and, and uh, desiring nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and feeling the awe and the power and the majesty of God. Also at the same time being humbled in the presence of the majesty of God. When his son, his infant son, his baby Ibrahim passed away, his eyes were streaming tears, would not stop. And he cried out of mercy, missing his son. And he said, تَدْمَعُ الْعَيْنُ وَيَحْزَنُ الْقَلْبُ وَلَا نَقُولُ إِلَّا مَا يُرْضِي رَبَّنَا وَإِنَّا بِكَ يَا إِبْرَاهِيمُ لَمَحْزُونُونَ He said that the eye sheds tears and the heart it aches. But we do not say anything that is displeasing to our master, to Allah. And I miss you so much, O Ibrahim. وَبَكَى لَمَّا شَاهَدَ إِحْدَى بَنَاتِهِ وَنَفْسُهَا تَفِيدُ This was not actually one of the daughters of the Prophet it was the granddaughter of the Prophet One of the granddaughters of the Prophet the daughter of Zainab. She was a small baby and she was dying, the baby was dying, she was having trouble breathing. And she was brought to the Prophet and the Prophet held her in, her, in his arms, the baby. As she was struggling, the baby was struggling to breathe, catch her breath. It was the granddaughter of the Prophet And he sat there holding her, watching her struggle to catch her breath. And the tears were streaming, he was crying. And we're going to read the narration that when he asked Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu to recite the Qur'an to him, and Ibn Mas'ud started reciting Surah An-Nisa, that the Prophet, it brought the Prophet to tears. One of his illustrious companions, Uthman bin Mad'un, when he passed away, the Prophet was brought to tears. As we're going to read about when there was a solar eclipse at the time of the Prophet when he stood up to pray during the solar eclipse, he was in tears. Asking Allah to not bring the end of you know, the world and bring the punishments upon them. وَجَعَلَ يَبْكِي فِي صَلَاتِهِ وَجَعَلَ يَنْفُخُ وَيَقُولُ And we'll talk about that. وَبَكَى لَمَّا جَلَسَ عَلَىٰ قَبْرِ إِحْدَى بَنَاتِهِ Zainab, his daughter Zainab, his eldest, when she passed away, and she had been through a lot, the Prophet ﷺ said, My Zainab, she was amazing. She witnessed everything. She was there for everything. She saw everything. She understood everything we went through. And when she was leaving Mecca to come to join her father in Medina, she was pregnant and she was attacked at that time by a wretched individual out of hatred for the Prophet ﷺ. And he attacked her with a spear and wounded her. She lost her, the baby she was carrying because of that. And she suffered a wound that never completely healed and she eventually succumbed to complications from that same wound years later. And she was sick throughout, constantly nursing, dealing with that wound. When she finally passed away, the Prophet ﷺ got down. He was very old at this time. It's towards the end of his life. Very old, but he got down into the grave and lowered her body and placed her in the grave. When he got out from the grave, they helped him out. He sat down on the edge of the grave. Just an old father. Bearing yet another one of his children. The Prophet ﷺ was blessed with seven children. And six of his children passed away in his lifetime. It's the greatest tragedy any human being can ever experience. Is the loss of a child. One of my teachers pointed something out. In Arabic as well as when I thought about it in English as well. What do you call a child who's lost their parents? An orphan. What do you call a, a wife who's lost her husband? A widow. And a husband who's lost his wife? A widower. What's the word 
for a parent that's lost a child. It's not very popularly... There's, we don't have a word in English in particular. Maybe there is in Old English or something. Even in Arabic, there were some expressions, but there was not one term that was commonly used culturally to refer to that person. And part of the understanding for that was they said it was such a terrible idea that they could not give it a word. It was too painful to give it a name. No name, no word could do it justice. The tragedy that it is. And the Prophet ﷺ experienced that six times in his lifetime. So an old father who's just buried his daughter, he came and he sat down on the edge of the grave. And he told everyone that was there, please make dua for my Zainab. Pray for her. She went through a lot. And then he broke down into tears and he started to cry at the edge of her grave. And the Prophet ﷺ was also seen to, often he was found in tears when he would pray in the night. So this is to kind of summarize the, the crying of the Prophet ﷺ. In this narration we see that the Prophet ﷺ is in particular crying while performing the prayer, uh, in, while, while praying. And this was once again as we talked about before, due to just the... Um, just being overwhelmed and being completely in awe and humbled in the presence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This narration, this hadith, I'll just mention this here. It's found in the Shamail of Tirmidhi, but just to corroborate the narrations, this particular hadith is also found in the Sahih of Imam Bukhari. It's also found in the Sahih of Imam Muslim and many other books of hadith like Abu Dawood, Nasa'i, and Musnad Ahmad. The next narration. قال المصنف حدثنا محمود بن غيلان قال حدثنا معاوية بن هشام قال حدثنا سفيان عن الأعمش عن إبراهيم عن عبيدة عن عبد الله بن مسعود رضي الله تعالى عنه قال قال لي رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم اقرأ علي فقلت يا رسول الله اقرأ عليك وعليك أنزل it should say وعليك أنزل نعم اقرأ عليك وعليك أنزل قال إني أحب أن أسمعه من غيري فقرأت سورة النساء حتى بلغت وجئنا بك على هؤلاء شهيدا قال فرأيت عيني رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم تهملان In this particular narration, Abdullah bin Mas'ud رضي الله تعالى عنه a very illustrious companion of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم He says that the Messenger of God, again I'll just give a brief translation which you can again follow along with. Um, and then inshallah, I'll go through the actual explanation of it. Uh, Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu ta'ala anhu says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said to me, read for me. Read for me. I said, O Messenger of God, shall I read to you? Like does it, should I read to you? And it is revealed upon you? It is revealed upon you. The Prophet ﷺ said, I love to listen to the Qur'an from someone else. Like I love to listen to others reciting the Qur'an. So he says, I started reading Surah An-Nisa until I reached the ayah, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, says in Surah An-Nisa, the entirety of the ayah is, فَكَيْفَ إِذَا جِئْنَا مِنْ كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ بِشَهِيدٍ وَجِئْنَا بِكَ عَلَى هَأُولَاءِ شَهِيدًا That think about what that situation will be like when we bring a witness to testify uh, upon each and every single ummah, each and every single group of people. And then we finally bring you, O Muhammad wasallam, to testify and validate those who have testified against the people. What the ayah basically refers to is that the people that disbelieved throughout time, throughout history, the people that we read about in the Qur'an, the people of Thamud, the people of Ad, all these people who disbelieved, when they'll come on the Day of Judgment, they will try to contend their fate. 
Like, no, nobody told us anything. Nobody, you know, uh, told us what we could or could not do. And so Allah will call the prophets and the messengers that were sent to them. Hud alayhi salam and Salih alayhi salam and others. Allah will call those prophets and those prophets will stand before God and will bear witness, will testify, I swear to you, O Allah, I delivered to them the message that you gave to me. I did what I was supposed to do. And then Allah will call the Prophet Muhammad to testify on behalf of those prophets that yes, these prophets are all truthful. They are prophets and messengers of God and they speak the truth. When he reached that ayah, Abdullah bin Mas'ud says, Hatta balaghtu, when I reached that ayah, I looked at the Prophet and I saw that his eyes were overflowing with tears. They had welled up and the tears had started to flow from his eyes, just being overwhelmed by that thought and that idea. So to get into the particular narration and give a little explanation here, one of the very profound things here is the Prophet ﷺ going to Abdullah bin Mas'ud and saying, read the Qur'an to me. Which tells us right off the bat, right here, that the Prophet ﷺ had such a love and had such a connection with the Qur'an and engaged and loved engaging with the Qur'an to the extent that it was not only just reading it in the prayer or reading it while sitting down, but he even wanted to listen to it. He had this, the Qur'an was constantly flowing through his life, through his existence. It was a part of his life. Walking and sitting and morning and evening and riding. He was even seen reciting the Qur'an while he'd be riding an animal while traveling. He was reciting the Qur'an while walking. He was reciting the Qur'an while sitting. Reciting the Qur'an while lying in bed. Even sitting in the masjid and then calling someone like Abdullah bin Mas'ud and saying, come here, sit, read. So this was the constant engagement the Prophet ﷺ had with the Qur'an. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us that level of a connection with the Book of Allah. And then secondly, the scholars also point out here that listening is its own activity. Listening has its own virtue, it has its own benefits. And particularly, one of the scholars, Imam Bajuri rahimahullah ta'ala, he actually writes here, he says, إِنَّمَا أَحَبَّ ذَلِكَ لِكَوْنِ السَّامِعِ خَالِصًا لِتَعَقُّ الْمَعَانِي بِخِلَافِ الْقَارِئِ Particularly in our case, the Prophet ﷺ was absolutely perfect. But in our case, he talks about it that listening to the Qur'an actually can sometimes allow you to just fixate on the meaning of what's being read versus reciting it, reading it yourself. Why? فَإِنَّهُ مَشْغُولٌ بِضَبْطِ الْأَلْفَاظِ Because when you're reading it, you gotta actually make sure you're reading it properly. And then you go back and you catch yourself and you're trying to make sure you pronounce everything properly. It's the Qur'an. You got to do your mud here, your elongation there, your ghunna, you're kind of pressing on the noon sound over here. You got to constantly be doing these different things. And so it can kind of take away from that. You pour a lot of attention and energy into make sure you're reading it properly. But when you're sitting there just listening to it, it allows you to think about it and reflect upon it. وَإِعْطَاءِ الْحُرُوفِ حَقَّهَا وَلِيَنَّهُ إِعْتَادَ سِمَاعُهُ مِنْ جِبْرِيلِ وَالْعَادَةُ مَحْبُوبَةٌ بِالطَّبْعِ and very interestingly, he says, the Prophet ﷺ had actually developed quite a fondness for listening to the Qur'an being recited to him. Because Jibreel ﷺ would come and recite the Qur'an to him as well. And so he's asking Abdullah bin Mas'ud, recite, read the Qur'an to me. And another very profound point here. See, the Prophet ﷺ taught and led by example. He taught and led by example. Our problem, my problem is that I'll tell y'all, you know, uh, you should have good character, you should have good akhlaq, and if somebody is rude to you, you be nice to them, you be polite to them. Now I say that, and what do you see five minutes later? Somebody kind of cuts me off and I'm kind of like, hey jerk, right? Watch where you're going, pal. Right? That's, that's how I respond immediately. Right after I told you, somebody responds to you, somebody acts rude towards you, you respond with dignity. You respond with generosity. You be a more dignified human being. And then I turn around and I act completely differently myself. The Prophet ﷺ didn't just teach us these lessons and talk about it. The Prophet ﷺ lived it. 
and taught it through his example. And one of the profound points that Imam Bajuri mentions here, he says, وَمِنْ فَوَائِدِ هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ أَتَّنْبِيهُ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْفَاضِلَ لَا يَنْبَغِي أَنْ يَأْنِفَ مِنَ الْأَخْذِ عَنِ الْمَفْضُولِ The teacher should never be afraid to, it should never be ashamed, should never be embarrassed, should never find it beneath themselves to take from the student, to benefit from the student. فَقَدْ كَانَ كَثِيرٌ مِنَ السَّلَفِ يَسْتَفِيدُونَ مِنْ طَلَبَتِهِمْ Many, it was a tradition of our scholars of the past that they would benefit from their own students. They would benefit from their own students. Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullah ta'ala studied with Imam Muhammad ibn al-Hasan al-Shaybani. Imam Muhammad was one of the um, students of Imam Abu Hanifa and also a student of Imam Malik. Great scholar. Imam Shafi'i studied with him. When he left the company, when he was kind of going elsewhere to continue his studies, and when they were parting, Imam Shafi'i was thanking him, thank you for all the knowledge and the benefit and the lessons and the mentorship, etc., etc. And Imam Muhammad said to him, he said, I do not say this as a formality, I mean it. You're not going to take it from me, you're not going to pay any attention to it. But you need to know, I have benefited from you far more than you've benefited from me, and that's just the God-honest truth. That is not just some false humility, that is not some formality being exchanged. It is the God-honest truth. I've learned more from you than you've probably learned from me. You just don't realize it. And that's how the Prophet, that's what the Prophet taught us to do. He's a messenger of God, and that's why Abdullah bin Mas'ud, now to go to the next point, when he says, I should read to you and upon you, was it revealed? Like I learned it from you. He's not, he's not rejecting, he's not denying, he's not arguing. But it's just the, 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 the shock of it. The humility of it. This is a messenger of God. Muhammad Rasulullah This is the man upon whom the Quran is revealed. I, I, I should read in front of you. And that again shows the humility and the respect that the Sahaba had for the Prophet do not raise your voices above the voice of the Messenger. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We talked about this earlier. That don't talk to the Messenger like you talk to each other. And what's really remarkable on top of that is that every ounce of his being is just horrified by the idea of reciting the Qur'an upon the Prophet ﷺ. He's mortified by the idea. But when the Prophet ﷺ tells him to, what does he still do? He does recite it, does he not? There's a very valuable principle in our religion, and that is Al-Amru فوق Adab. Al-Amru فوق Adab. Compliance with the command is prioritized over, takes precedence over any notion of etiquette, respect, or humility that you might have. Allow me to explain. If my father tells me, we're getting ready to pray at home, and my father tells me, you lead. It's my father. I love him, I respect him, I adore him, I look up to him, I admire him. So again, I don't like this idea of leading him in prayer. He knows so much more than me, he's done so much more than me, so much more wisdom. So I don't like the idea. But at that time, if he's telling me to lead the prayer, the real gesture of respect is to do what he's telling me to do. Not to play that, no, 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 it's okay, you go lead. No, 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 you go lead. Right? Like, no, just be quiet and leave. Alright? Just do what you're told. We used to deal with this with our teachers as well. We kind of sit down and he's like, there was one particular senior teacher I was traveling with. And there were times where his knees would give him a lot of trouble. And so sometimes just, he would be standing in the prayer and his knees would just buckle. His knees were really, really bad. Elderly. 
It was, it was remarkable that he would stand and pray. So sometimes in the middle of the prayer, he would just have to kind of just sit down because his knees would start to buckle. Very senior sheikh, very senior scholar. And so we're traveling and tells me to lead the prayer. Time for salah. He says, there's a, there's a bunch of folks around, local you know, students and things like that kind of joining in. And he's like, Abdul Nasser, go lead. And at that moment, I'm like, absolutely not. Right? I was like, oh, I just remembered I have to use the restroom. Right? It's like just, just anything. I don't want to lead the sheikh in prayer. Right? And so, but understanding at that point in time to just do what he's asking me to do. That's what's more important. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu when the Prophet ﷺ told him to lead the salah, he was just, he, he couldn't process the idea. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha was worried about his health. She was worried about his well-being, his health. That if he has to stand on your prayer rug, O Prophet of Allah, he will like fall to the ground. He will cry. He will roll up like into a ball and just lay there and cry. Because it will become real, the idea that you're leaving. Like he can't fathom that. But when the Prophet ﷺ said lead, he stood and lead. And when the Prophet ﷺ even came out while he was leading, in the middle of the prayer, Abu Bakr almost like a physical reaction, muscle memory, he just started walking backwards. In the middle of the prayer while leading, he started taking a step backwards. And the Prophet ﷺ gestured and he said, stay where you're at. And again, he stood his place and he led the prayer because that's what the Prophet ﷺ told him to do. So we see this particular lesson here. Abdullah bin Mas'ud starts reading. And he starts reading from Surah Tun. And the Prophet ﷺ then he says very remarkably, We talked about this. I love listening to others recite the Qur'an. And we talked about that. And realize, one other thing I wanted to mention, uh, a, a particular issue, a dynamic of reading, listening to the recitation of the Qur'an, it is a rewarding act. It is an act of virtue, it is an act of reward that is rewarded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there's etiquette to listening to the Qur'an as well. When the Qur'an is read, then listen to it very carefully and very attentively and be quiet. Ansitu. Be quiet. Do not speak. So that you may receive mercy from God. And when he reaches that ayah, the Prophet, the, the idea and the thought of the day of judgment, the day of resurrection, and then particularly thinking about the position that he's going to be put in. Just out of the, just the, out of the, uh, the, the magnitude of that moment, the weight of that responsibility, out of humility before Allah, he was crying out of humility. His eyes welled up with tears and the tears started to flow from his eyes. So we again see how and why and where and when the Prophet ﷺ would again be brought to these tears. The next narration, hadith number three of this chapter. Yes, and I forgot to mention the previous narration is also found in the Sahih of Imam Bukhari and the Sunan of Ibn Majah. In this particular narration, قال مصنف حدثنا قتيبة قال حدثنا جرير عن عطاء بن السائب عن أبيه عن عبد الله بن عمرو رضي الله تعالى عنهما قال إن كسفت الشمس يوما على عهد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فقام فقام رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يصلي حتى لم يكد يركع ثم ركع فلم يكد يرفع رأسه ثم رفع رأسه فلم يكد أن يسجد ثم سجد فلم يكد أن يرفع رأسه ثم رفع رأسه فلم يكد أن يسجد ثم سجد فلم يكد أن يرفع رأسه فجعل ينفخ ويبكي ويقول ربي ألم تعدني ألا تعذبهم وأنا فيهم ربي ألم تعدني ألا تعذبهم وهم يستغفرون ونحن نستغفرك فلما صلى ركعتين إنجلت الشمس فقام فحمد الله تعالى وأثنى عليه ثم قال إن الشمس والقمر آيتان من آيات الله لا ينكسفان لموت أحد ولا لحياته فإذا انكسفا فافزعوا إلى ذكر الله تعالى so allow me to just briefly translate this. Um, Abdullah bin Amr radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, he says 
that there was a solar eclipse one day during the time of the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ stood and began to lead the prayer. And he stood for so long that it seemed like he would not go into ruku'. Then he went into ruku'. And then he stayed in ruku'. for so long that it seemed like he would not stand up again. And then he stood up again. Then he stood there for so long that it seemed like he would not go into sajda. But then he went into sajda. Then he was in sajda for so long that it seemed like he would not raise his head again. And he raised his head up. He sat up. Then it seemed like he would not go into sajda again because he sat there for so long. Then he did sajda. Then again it seemed like he would not raise his head up from the sajda again. Sajda was so long. But then he sat up and he was started to make dua. And in some narrations it mentions that he did not. In the sajda he started to make the dua. In the sajda he made the dua, فَجَعَلَ يَنْفُخُ He started breathing very heavily. And he started crying, his voice was cracking. While he was saying, Oh my Lord, my Master, did you not promise me that you would not punish them while I was still amongst them? While I was still here with them? I'm still working on them. Don't give up on them. Oh my Lord, my Master, did you not promise me that you would not punish them so long as they continue to ask for forgiveness? Well, we all together ask you for forgiveness, O Allah. That when he finished the two rakahs, the sun had basically, the eclipse had ended. And then he stood up and he praised and he thanked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he said that the sun and the moon are two signs from the signs of God. They do not become eclipsed due to someone's death, someone's passing, nor due to someone's birth, someone's arrival into this world. So whenever an eclipse occurs of the sun or the moon, a solar or a lunar eclipse, then rush to the remembrance of God. Rush to go and talk to Allah. Now, to explain this, first of all, we understand obviously the concept of the solar eclipse. But the very first point that is very obvious here is that the Prophet ﷺ is teaching us when these things happen, when the natural order of things changes, that is a time to go and connect and become near and closer to Allah. Not to become a tourist and go outside and stand looking up at the sky with your mouth open, looking around, taking pictures, right? Snapchatting, right? Solar eclipse, guys, cool, right? No, that's not what it's time for. It's time to go and talk to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's what it's time for. Okay? That's the very, that's the biggest lesson from this. Number two, we see the prayer of the Prophet ﷺ at the time of the eclipse was that he used to elongate the prayer to cover the entire duration of the eclipse. Long qiyam, long ruku', long sujood. Extending the prayer. Making dua in the sajda. And then the dua of the Prophet ﷺ, again, sometimes the English doesn't translate very well from the Arabic. That, did you not promise me? It sounds in English kind of like someone's kind of whining or complaining or challenging. That's not what it is. It's saying, oh Allah, please, you promised me. Please, oh Allah, you promised me. You would not punish them while I'm still working with them. Please give them more time. It was a request. And it shows that desperation. It shows the love and affection. It shows how much He cared about us. How He never gave up on us. And the really profound thing, that you will not obliterate them, you will not annihilate them, you will not destroy them, wipe them out like the nations of the past, so long as they continue to seek forgiveness. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ teaches us that to seek forgiveness a hundred times a day. A hundred times a day. Astaghfirullah. Sayyidul Istighfar. The Istighfar, the Prophet ﷺ would do morning and evening. That to constantly be asking Allah for forgiveness and to put it into really simple terms for simple folk like myself. To just say that you're sorry to Allah. To say that, to admit that you messed up, oh Allah. I'm wrong. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done this. I made a mistake. 
I'm going to try my best not to repeat this mistake. I'm going to try to fix my ways. Please give me another chance. And he will give you a chance every single time. Every single time. Call out to me, I will answer. I've been waiting to answer all along. Just call out. Just talk, just ask. The beautiful hadith of the Prophet ﷺ where when, when there, there a, th- a third of the night remains at night where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala proclaims, makes a proclamation. Is there anyone who wants to be forgiven? I'll forgive them. Just ask. That's all it takes. And so that's something very remarkable mentioned here. Then when the Prophet ﷺ concluded and he thanked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he says something very interesting about the sun and the moon being the signs of God and saying that they do not become eclipsed to, due to someone's death or someone's birth. Where is that exactly coming from? So there's two things. Number one, this was a, a problematic notion that people had and there are superstitious ideas like this that exist even till today. Very unfortunately, even in Muslim communities, there was this problematic idea and notion that existed at that time that the solar or the lunar eclipse would happen due to the passing of some great person or due to the birth of a great child. And the Prophet was dispelling with that notion. And secondly, some narrations mention that this solar eclipse happened the day after the passing of the son of the Prophet Ibrahim. And so the Prophet was explicitly saying, absolutely no. Absolutely not. It has nothing to do with that. And then the Prophet ﷺ of course tells us, rush to the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we see the Prophet ﷺ again brought to tears, asking for our forgiveness, asking for our protection, crying for us on our behalf. If that's, that's in the light of that second narration, a day after he's lost a baby, a child, think about how selfless someone is where they're crying for someone else a day after they lost a child. That is who the Prophet ﷺ was. Hadith number four. Qala al-Musannif. These are three very short narrations, so inshallah we'll go through them fairly quickly. Qala al-Musannif. Haddathana Mahmud ibn Ghaylan. Qala haddathana Abu Ahmed. Qala haddathana Sufyan. An Ata ibn Sa'ib. عن عكرمة عن ابن عباس قال أخذ رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ابنة له تقضي فاحتضنها فوضعها بين يديه فماتت وهي بين يديه وصاحت أم أيمن فقال يعني صلى الله عليه وسلم أتبكين عند رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فقالت ألس أراك تبكي قال إني لست أبكي إنما هي رحمة إن المؤمن بكل خير على كل حال إن نفسه تنزع من بين جنبيه وهو يحمد الله عز وجل So we're going to go ahead and stop here.